definitely saw evidence of that like hello toilet paper fiasco <laughs> did, you, did you did you feel that <laughs> jesus christ doc you disintegrated einstein disintegrated einstein einstein Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Frida. I'm Abby. And this week's movie is the documentary Contagion. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's okay. We know it's fiction. It's fine. It's totally fiction. Ah! It's like, I don't, I don't even want to, I don't even know how to start this one because it's like, I want to ask you so many questions immediately, but then I'm also like, okay, no, we need to just like, you know, hey, how are you doing? Hey, how are you? (laughs) Well, I would just, we're talking before we came on air, which is where we are, is that I have a couple, I have some science jokes ready. If it gets too serious, (laughs) you ask, you flag, you give me the signal, I'll drop a science joke. (laughs) And we won't get too terrifying. <laughs> hey. Well, <laughs> and yeah, I, I mean, we can get pretty much straight into it, I reckon. But we do need to do our country cheers for the week. Yes. Oh, yes. Because uh, last time we did, it was Honey, I was the kids, we cheers to America. Yeah. I didn't cut it out. Who are we cheering to this week? Well... I, you sent me a message, but I'm going with that. Uh, I have an order already. So we're actually oh, cheering to Australia this week. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's me. Yes, yeah, you. Hey, boys. That's me. I was trying to look up if there was a special way that Australians cheer. And uh, cheers, mate, is about all I can find. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're super basic. We just say cheers. Yeah, so go on. I was cheers. hoping that you should. I cheers my coffee. <laughs> I'll cheers my coffee, tea, or whatever you're drinking. No, we say Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. Yes. Yes. Yeah? Okay, cool. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that's it. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say before we get into it? Do you want to tell me how you are? Do you, are you just like, we, we just need to just deal with this movie? <laughs> how am I? Let me think about it. Um, <laughs> how am I doing? Yeah, <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, okay. <laughs> I feel like that question is not normally this difficult. <laughs> oh my god! Mate. Yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah. I was ready to start this, and then as as you are aware, I just had a half an hour technical meltdown. Uh, which has really aggravated me. So I'm really trying to come back to my my semi good mood that I had at eight eight a.m. on Sunday morning. Uh, Do you want a joke? Do you want a joke? <laughs> yeah, go on, give me a joke. What did one beam of light say to the other beam of light before they slammed into each other? Uh, I don't know. Dude, you can totally crash on my photon. <laughs> oh. Okay, I, I now understand the types of jokes we're going with today, so. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Are you ready? Should I feel like this picked is up your mood. Hard. No, it won't be. I'm here for you. All right, okay. Okay, cool. 
All right, shall we? It's a great movie. It is. It is. Well, well, will I do my? I I wrote one paragraph of a summary because brilliant. I was just like, we're gonna go through the whole bloody thing in a while anyway, so there's no point That's in that. That's true. All right, so I'll do I'll do my little one paragraph summary then. Right, Contagion. We know mm-hmm. it is a fictional movie, apparently, directed by Steven Soderbergh and written by Scott Z. Burns. An adulterer, a model, and a businessman walk into a bar. Three days later, they're all dead. In hauntingly accurate scenes, we watch as a virus spreads, travelling through all the objects we touch and the people in our lives. Scientists battle through the stages of identification, understanding, creating, and solving the problems associated with a worldwide pandemic, while the people on the streets fight to survive against an unknown entity that shows no discrimination or preference. There will be those that profit, those that perish, and those that see the story through to the end and the beginning of a new way of life. Contagion. Is that a it? 2020 documentary. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because, you know. So, Frida. That's the, yeah. How did this movie make you feel? I like the movie a lot. I think yeah. it's a good movie. And so, I mean, it's amazing watching it now because mm. it's creepy how... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> correct it is about so many things it's really eerie isn't it right i but it's good i'm pretty sure i I can't remember having seen it a while back i saw it when it came out yeah i mean i feel like i did but i don't remember it so when i watched it i was kind of wondering i was like what if i wasn't watching it now with what's gone on what would my perspective on the movie have been beforehand would I have watched it and thought oh that's bonkers you know or would I have been like oh that's you know that's a really good movie and it's probably accurate I just I Mm. wonder what I would have been like I remember I'll tell you what Mm. I remember I remember how like exciting there was a lot of buzz around the movie because of how um quickly and how um without mercy it kills off all the characters oh yeah and it was like the the it was like outbreak but real Uh, outbreak was sort of a bit more there was like a dumb love story in there outbreak was kind of like the twister in sense it wasn't really about the virus it was about a love story of like a couple getting back together this one is just balls to the walls terror of what would happen in a pandemic and we're, we're not really dealing with big gushy love stories and nope. we are dealing with a lot of people that get very quickly dead yeah dead no other way to put it so why don't we talk about some of the cast for a little bit and as we do tend to focus on the scientists and we will focus on them a, a little bit later we'll do some a couple of honorable mentions for a non-science cast before we get into everything so starting yep. with, of course, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Matt, yeah. Matt Damon, my um, unintentional second good science movie choice starring Matt Damon. <laughs> I really didn't mean to do it. Uh, but he is a focus on how the story develops for someone just living their life and trying to keep their kids safe. And he's kind of... He is central to the story and everything. So how did you feel about returning to Matt Damon? Yeah, I thought Matt Damon was one is one of the best parts of the entire movie. 
And yeah. Matt Damon kind of just, he just keeps surviving in Hollywood. Like, yeah. he just keeps making movies more and more. And <clears throat> a lot of them, like, this one is really good. Like, he's really good in this. Yeah. And I do not think it would be as good because, yeah, there's a lot of science and it's all accurate. Or is it? We'll see. But the fa- he brings the humanity to it. Yeah. More than anybody else in the cast, I think. And it, the movie wouldn't be the same without him. It's that kind of, it's a really heart wrenching scene as well when she when she dies, but it's more mm. the and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But what what really got me was him coming home and that moment. Can you imagine that moment? And you're like your wife's just died and now you're on the way home and you find your son. It's it was a bold way to start the movie. It was like oh yeah. We're dealing with this and, and was it? we're showing you nobody is safe. Mm-hmm. GP is dead. A child. Child is yeah. dead. Child. And now we're yeah. In. I mean, it's crazy. And now the film starts. Yeah. I mean, it's it's radical. It's crazy. Now, there's going to be a bit of a section towards the end of the podcast where we'll, we'll focus a little bit more on what's going on here. But we've got to mm-hmm. mention Alan Crumwitty, Jude Law. Yeah. Oh, my God. Captain Unlikable. Unbelievable, right? Yeah, I mean, Jude Law is funny because he's so unlikable in this movie. Mm. And that's pretty good. Because it's just, the extent that he's able to play such a detestable character is almost, it's impressive to me. Yeah, I (laughs) agree so much. That's how I felt. I I, I was like, I hated his character so much. Um, Yeah. Because of that, it was like a, for me, it was like, well, that's because he's doing such a good fucking job. Oh, yeah. Doesn't he remind you of like, have you lost friends to the, (laughs) have you lost friends in the past year to, because they're a bit, a la, you know, yeah, going off to the dark side. Yeah. The dark side. (laughs) (laughs) But I just, I think like his physicality, his mannerisms, the way he talked, the kind of, yeah, just everything about him obnoxiousness oh it was just wonderful (laughs) it's true all right okay well look his character was apparently born from the writer's observations on how people acted during the h1n1 outbreak back in 2009 and he could see that people would like move online and characters like crumwitty would end up appearing which is kind of a really good foreshadowing But um, I would like to take a minute and talk about uh, the writer who was Scott Burns. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you know much about this? About him? No. His approach? Well, he said, this is amazing because we're aware that many people will have rewatched Contagion recently. We've waited to do this until now because I feel like where we're at in in our pandemic storyline is kind of around the similar place where the movie ended but um because many people have been re-watching it scott burns has had to say in recent interviews because people keep asking him how did he predict that it would be a bat and how did he predict that we'd all be using the term social distancing and his response <laughs> is that he didn't predict anything or come up with anything new he just had access to great expertise and those expertise came in the form of epidemiologists 
W. Ian Lipkin and Larry Brilliant, as well as a variety of reps from the World Health Organization. And I just feel like we love a writer who does some good, solid research and gets some scientists in, don't we? Yeah, and the proof is in the pudding for this movie of mm. how well researched it was is 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 self evident at this yeah. point. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> social, yeah, the, the social distancing, even just, just um, things like um, this is worse than the virus. You know, like the fear that holds yeah. the whole idea of like the fear being. There's so many little phrases that get put in there <clears throat> that I just. I, yeah, it's, I'm so almost sick of hearing those things repeated again and again. Well, this is the thing. And it's it's so interesting because what he said he got his inspiration from was he had seen a TED talk by Larry Brilliant. I'm obsessed with his name. I know. <laughs> Larry, I'm I, obsessed. I held my tongue. But um, in so this was, I'm not sure when the TED talk was, I think maybe 2005-ish. And he had discussed the idea that it's not about, I mean, we've all heard this many times before, it's not about if a new pandemic will occur, it's about when. And that inspired Burns to write a, what he called a medical thriller that felt like it could really happen. And he took a lot of inspiration from the SARS outbreak in 2002 to 2004, but he was actually researching it in 2009 when H1N1 happened. And that kind of fed into the narrative quite a lot as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. I'd like to move into the themes, but before we move into the themes, because you've prepared so, so graciously, I figure, do you want to give us a joke? Yes, I'll give you a joke. Oh, how exciting. Okay, we find find the joke. Why can't you trust atoms? I feel like I should know the answer to these. I don't know. They make up everything. Oh, God. (laughs) Okay, okay. All right. Let's go. Let's talk about the themes of the movie then. (laughs) I don't think there's any confusion as to what the themes of the movie are. But I've kind of split it into two. We've got one that's a scientific documentary following first human contact of a novel virus through a global spread and vaccine development and eventual steps towards immunity. Movie part number two is normal people trying to survive a zombie apocalypse as the world descends into chaos and lawlessness. But at the core, what we're actually looking at is we're looking at the different behaviours of individuals and groups when they're faced with something they don't understand and are played upon by those spreading disinformation. And as we'll get to the science portion in a bit, I wanted to know how you feel about this aspect of it. Like, how do you predict it when you're writing something like this? You know, the science is yeah. so beautifully done, but how do you predict what the human response is going to be? None of us know. Yeah, You look at, you look through the past, you look yeah. through the past. Well, looting, you know, looting is is something that it does happen and it has happened certainly in America just the last year. But I mean, you look, in, you look through history and there are situations where people would have fought over food, but I don't think they were there. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that right? they were there to it the point like where they would fight each other or for something. food. Yes, <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, like the world's out of food already. Come on, how much do we waste every year? I mean, I know, like the, the fact they're all lining up in military trucks to get their ready to cook the meals. Like, I don't think so. Yeah, that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the only part of the film that I was like, yeah, nah, yeah, I don't no, I, I completely agree with you because I, I was in that moment too. But what I did like is that yeah. um, 
even though it might have been slightly exaggerated, I did enjoy that they depicted different people's responses. So you had people like Matt Damon who uses logic. You know, there's that great scene where, you know, he's trying to go to the supermarket and he's got his daughter and she's in a mask and they walk out of the supermarket. Immediately he's got the bottle of Purell out and he's like, give me your hands. Like he's like, these are the things we're supposed to do. This is how we're going to deal with it. No, you cannot see your boyfriend. I know you want to, but you cannot do it like that. And then you've got the characters that are out for themselves, like Jude Law. It's like, oh, I can, you know, I can profit out of this with fame and money. You've got the people who give in to the fear, which is, you know, the when we get those random gunshot scenes or the burglars and and the panicking and all of that. And then some people that just end up completely desperate, like the uh, what's the Lorraine? Yeah, poor lady. So do you feel like it was a good kind of cross section, though, of behaviors in those characters? Absolutely. Yes. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, Matt Damon's reaction was completely uh, realistic, and the desperation of the people. But yeah, I think the movie was a, a bit too a bit too zealous with all the fighting and everything. But yeah, I was I was on board with that. Were yeah. you? Yeah, I really was. I looking at it with the lens that I have now, I'm really kind of like, yeah, I could see how different people would respond in different ways. You know, we all we all respond to fear in different ways, and and you could mm. see it yeah those may be what the movie is trying to tell us uh but every movie has extra little even this one extra little themes and tropes that happen in the background for us as we know so let's pop on into our first main segment which is trope of the week farida what was your trope for this movie it's a hard one Although we just kind of mentioned one, looting, finding home food. There's a few, but this is one. Maybe you can help me. Um, it's the lady is kidnapped. Oh, yes. <laughs> and she fast forward a year and she's like Anna and the king, you know, she's like the king and I. <laughs> <laughs> like, of course she is. She's just gone like become what it, I, it it's definitely a trope. She's being held hostage by these people, but she is a woman. Henceforth, she's the school teacher. <laughs> of course. She's like, oh, yes, beautiful children. Why don't you continue to color this in? And I'll be back yeah. soon. No, I won't. <laughs> Just, she suddenly looks very kind of like, uh, what is it? Is she wearing like a little cute little headband and everything as well and she's just like I'm so free I was very uptight office scientist and now I'm just free in the country with the children with the children <laughs> I think you call it going native yeah. she's gone native and is teaching the school, the school children because who was teaching them before <laughs> what was your trope I also found this kind of hard but I, I went on something that didn't bug me at the start, but then the more I thought about it, the more I was kind of, okay, this is actually a little bit annoying. Um, it's the whole Mitch is immune thing and the way they played that out. Because maybe this is me misunderstanding, but his wife and his son have died very quickly. The doctors have no idea what they're dealing with. They don't know how to cure it. How are they able to determine that he's immune? Just because yeah. he didn't die? 
but then just because he didn't die, does that mean, how do you know that he can't be a carrier? That's right. How do you know that he can't affect, infect anyone else or that he can't just get it later on or get a different strain of it? It was just kind of like they went, well, you didn't die within three days. Off you go. I'm immune. But at least I didn't do the trope of like harvesting him because who's got the secret to the... (laughs) You're the key. (laughs) Now that is tropey. Yeah. Well, look, I do. I mean, that's the thing. I get that it was a plot device. so I'm not really all that mad about it, but I just needed something. (laughs) I didn't know what to pick, so I picked that. Um, Well, shit's about to get real. (laughs) We're moving into a science section. So, Frida, why don't you why don't you uh, intro us into our science section with a joke? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right, Abby. What's the fastest way to determine the sex of a chromosome? Oh, I don't know. Pull down its genes. How do I not know any of these jokes? What is wrong with me? I didn't know them. Okay, cool. <laughs> Real scientists don't know. <laughs> All right, okay. Um, let's move. Um, I say um a lot, guys. I just want to say that I'm aware. I'm trying, really trying, man. <laughs> right, science. Now, as the movie is filmed in a very stylized way of tracking events by day, that's how we're going to talk about the science. There's a lot of days, there's a lot of things that happen, but there's a couple of days where like there's a lot more going on. So we'll focus a bit more on those days and we might just kind of skip and do a couple of jumps here and there. To start us all off, let's just run through the first few days and just the general points of what's happening. We've got the movie opening on day two. We see a collection of people around the world. They all seem pretty sick. Notably, it's Beth M. Hoff, who's returning to her home in the US. She's returning from a business trip in Hong Kong. And the implication is that all of these people have caught a virus and they've all developed their symptoms within one day. On her way home, Beth stops in Chicago for a flight delay and she meets an old boyfriend in a hotel. And then when she arrives back in Minnesota, a colleague meets her at the airport to sign some papers. Until she, and then she finally arrives at her house where her husband and son are waiting for her. We'll just skip straight into day four where Beth is taken to the hospital and then she dies from her illness. At this point in the movie, we're very it's very clear that something very serious is happening and that it's something is spreading. So we move into day five and this is where we start to understand a little bit more about what's going on and we meet in more detail some of the key players. So we get Dr. Lenora Orantes, as you mentioned in your trope, played by Marion Co- Oh. I always thought you. I always thought her name was Marion Coulthard. Have I said her name wrong? Marianne Cotillard. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Maybe. Marianne. We'll just Cotillard. go with that and apologize for my inability to be able to pronounce this name correctly. Double L in French is a year. Yeah. So Marianne Cotillard. 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 I don't know yeah. why I'm suddenly speaking like that. Cotillard. Cotillard. Okay. Cotillard. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, she is an epidemiologist and she works at the World Health Organization in Switzerland. And according to the CDC website, an epidemiologist is commonly referred to as a disease detective. And they search for the cause of the disease, identify people at risk, (laughs) determine how to control or stop the spread and ways to prevent it from happening again. Now, I know we said about the kidnap scene, but initially, how did you feel about Dr. Orantes? 
I loved it. All her scenes were like so fast. There was this awesome montage as well of her just like working, 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 working. The way she's always walking, working, talking, this, signing. Like she is just (laughs) getting shit done. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Shit done. She is very, uh, comes across as very efficient and very professional and not very emotional, which I think maybe is why they try to do that kind of change thing with the kidnapping. But, oh, but but she is what she needs to be you know if that's what your job is totally. then you you need to be a bit detached mm-hmm. so yeah i thought yeah. she was great that's just she was great i love those montages with the music yeah. with the shots the quick edits it's great <laughs> great well this initial meeting occurs at the World Health Organization Switzerland headquarters and this is when we learn that there are clusters of infected people and they have been identified in the US, China, London and Japan. Adult or a model Japanese businessman walk into a bar in Hong Kong. There you go. So how do you feel about how they're kind of representing the spread of the virus so far? I think at this point that they were talking about it was contained to a, um, a, a high-rise buildings and I think oh, okay. this was the day where she goes and they're looking through the buildings because people are living in like these dense areas. And that's that's that is what we've seen to have happened. Those high density okay. high rise buildings or just yeah. low income housing where it spreads like wildfire. That's, that, oh, so that's sorry. Sorry. Yes. Pretty accurate. My brain was like not connecting properly. <laughs> that's the that's day five. Yeah. Day five. And it's the the waiter, isn't it? Yeah, because the waiter lives in the low-income housing. That's it. Yeah. And we move into day six. What we see at the start of day six is what I'm psyched to talk about for a little bit is we get Dr. Cheevers and we meet Dr. Aaron Mears, both working at the CDC. Now, I can't find a specific description of Dr. Cheevers' role, but he clearly appears to be some form of epidemiologist at the head of either the CDC or this particular task force. But Dr. Mears is obviously played by Kate Winslet, classified as an epidemic intelligence service officer. Mm-hmm. Now, starting with Dr. Cheevers, what was your feelings or impression of him, of Lawrence Fishburne's Dr. Cheevers? Well, I love Lawrence Fishburne, always oh, and forever. Yeah. So he's just good. He plays always a good boss. He's always a good, a yeah. good um, authority figure. I like him. Yeah. That's it. How I about thought, you? I thought he was great. I, his yeah. whole... His whole kind of persona, his his calmness. He, you know, he was very much someone who's like, I deal with this all the time. I get asked these questions all the time. I have to answer stupid questions all the time. I have to face challenging situations. So I've learned how to just be very calm and very thorough and very straightforward kind of in, in his approach. And I just really appreciate it. I thought it was great. But he was mm-hmm. also very supportive too. Kind <gasps> of like, this is not an easy job. And, you know. You're not yeah. on your own kind of thing. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? Um, and then how did you feel about Dr. Mears? Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> I just smile. <laughs> what even? What's there to say? I mean, I mean, she's, I just, she just, she just is just works so hard. Yeah. I just, her work ethic and her sense, she's so sensible and I love her. <sighs> oh, she's fantastic. <laughs> She makes me feel bad, though, that I don't work hard. Yeah. <laughs> Did you feel that way? You're like, God damn it, she's efficient. 
<laughs> Should all feel bad that none of us work as well as Dr. Mears. As this fake person. Yeah. We didn't even get but, to not someone else who works very hard in this movie. Yeah. We haven't even got there. But uh, I know. these ladies, these ladies of science. Well, this is the thing. And I just, I do, I have to say at this point, I have always and always will have a huge lady crush on Kate Winslet. Mm. I fucking adore her I want to be her friend but I also never ever want to meet her because I don't ever want my adoration bubble to burst so I'm just like stuck in this eternal kind of like I love you but from afar yeah Um, so I just I thought she was fantastic in this all of all of the scientists in this I think are absolutely fantastic so yeah I guess what else can we say about it really that's it well we can say that both Dr. Cheevers and Dr. Mears work at the CDC. And if anybody doesn't know what that is, it's the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. What I would like to mention, though, because I thought this was interesting, is that the Epidemic Intelligence Service, as um, Mears is an Epidemic Intelligence Service officer, this is actually a program that's under the CDC and it was established in 1951. Its role is to investigate outbreaks when the local or state health authorities can't control them. Now, the Epidemic Intelligence Service has been the response team in crises such as polio, smallpox, HIV AIDS, E. coli, SARS, H1N1, Ebola, Zika virus, Mm -hmm. and of course, COVID-19 pandemic. They also provide response in the aftermath of natural disasters such as Hurricane Katrina and the Haiti earthquake. Now, to become an EIS officer, you must undergo a two-year postdoctoral training program with a focus on field work. And I just thought it's really cool what they do. But I also really felt from Kate Winslet that Dr. Mears was pretty fresh. Like I got the impression that she was either still in training or maybe had just completed her training and was being like handed her first solo job. Mm. Did you get that impression from it? I got the impression that she was being strongly mentored by Lawrence Fishburne character, mm. Dr. Cheevers. I don't know if that is just because she was still early in her career or because it was just a good culture, but I got a strong sense that he, they had a mentor mentory relationship. Yeah. So let's get into some of the science for day six. Dr. Mears is headed to Minnesota, as I mentioned, where Beth M. Hoff is from and the location of the first U.S. case. She's meeting with the Minnesota Department of Health to discuss what they know so far and come up with a reaction plan. Now, a fun note is that apparently the Minnesota Department of Health is actually the top department in the U.S., like the top health department in the U.S. Oh, really? Yeah. Can I just interrupt and check that all the officials she was with, the lady that kept yelling at her about budget, that was a Mm. Minnesota public health official? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so so that's what I was just going to say. A lot of the scene is for the audience's benefit because the people in that room with her would 100% know all of the information she is giving them. Yeah. (laughs) Especially with Minnesota Department of Health being like one of the most highly kind of um, recognized departments of health in the country. So this is this scene is very much for us, which is great. (laughs) And it's done in a nice way, too. So a couple of things that we learned from this scene is that at this stage, they know that it's a respiratory disease. They know that it's highly contagious. They are trying to establish what the or not number is, which is the reproductive rate of the virus. And they have also figured out that it's being transmitted through fomites as well as by aerosol. All of this should be so, so, so familiar to us so far. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately. Ringing any bells, Frida? Yeah, well, I, I, 
fomites and the surface, the, the face touching. Remember the beginning of the pandemic, the whole thing about stop touching yeah. your face? Stop touching your face. Yeah. There's that great, she has that line, it's a bit later on, where she's like, and Dave, stop touching your face. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, we've all been trying so hard to do that. I know. Yeah. You don't realize how much you do it. It's crazy. Yeah, well, now I do. Um, now, I don't want to. I don't want to harp on too much about science that we all are very aware of, or that is really easily accessible right now. But let's just talk about the or not for just a second. Like, I'm sure you know what this is, but just in case you've been wondering what this number is that they keep going on about, the or not is the base of repro- the basic reproductive number of an infection, and it indicates the average number of people one person can infect in a susceptible population. You want the or not to be lower than one because this means that you're breaking the transmission as one person is infecting less than one other on average. In the movie at this stage, the or not is around two. Now, to make a comparison, the estimated or not for SARS-CoV-2 ranges from 1.8 to 3.6. For SARS from 2003, it had a range from two to three. And the H1N1 pandemic was about 1.5. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's at this rate, it's it's kind of like, yeah, similar transmission rate in the movie at this stage to what we're experiencing or have been experiencing without measures in place. Yeah. But that's where we're at with the info so far. The most interesting thing, though, about this scene is, as you just mentioned a minute ago, it's the discussion that they're having, like the discussion around what to do. That dilemma that we're all so incredibly familiar with is, do we shut everything down? If we close the schools, who stays at home? How do we yeah. tell people to be cautious when they don't know what it is? How, how did this kind of resonate with you? Yeah, the, I wrote a couple of those things down of like the who stays home with the kids hit home fucking hard, man. Yeah. <laughs> who is supposed to stay home with the children when they close the school? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you mm-hmm. who. The women. Yeah. The women stay home with the children. That's what happened. And fucking fortunately. Yeah. That hit home. It was real. Yeah. It's unfair. That's the thing. It's like, I do feel like, I felt that woman, there's moments with that woman in particular where you were kind of like, all right, being a bit aggressive, aren't you? Uh, she's then super it was like, aggressive. Yeah. But at the same time, I suppose it's like, they're what you've got to think of. It's like, how do we fuck, like, you know, you're telling me that there's something going on. You can't tell me what it is, but mm-hmm. we we need to make some decisions. And how the fuck are we supposed to make these decisions? I kind of, I almost, I felt for her a bit. I was like, you're aggressive, but I feel for you. You're aggressive, but we live in a fairyland if we think we just go, listen to like the warnings of the scientists. And that's just as... Yeah far as the conversation goes like um, no it really doesn't unfortunately it's more complex than that and (sighs) right well (laughs) happier things yeah oh no no, i mean not not happier things no we won't we won't take the joke just yet okay we've got one more bit on day six but because day six is a long day we'll take one afterwards uh because one other thing does happen on day six we return to the cdc and we meet dr ali hextel played by jennifer eel who is a research scientist (laughs) ely ely oh sorry played by jennifer ely Mm -hmm. (laughs) she is a research scientist along with dr david eisenberg played by dimitri martin and they are working on attempting to identify the virus now, before we get into the lab, do you have any thoughts at this stage about Dr. Hextel or Dr. Eisenberg? Not yet. Yes. 
<laughs> okay. Well, this scene is definitely more about the lab setup. It is a yeah. real working lab and I fucking love it. Yeah. It's not overly fancified for Hollywood. It's just like, do you know what? It's so similar to a polymer chemistry lab that I worked at in Switzerland for a summer. Just made me think of it. Oh, cool. I mean, obviously we weren't walking around in fucking giant hazmat suits connected up to like vents, but No. <laughs> I believe it. Guess how many of those labs there are in America operationally? Operating. Oh. Guess how many? Four. Yeah. Four. Wait, what? Yeah, it's four. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the answer. Oh, okay. That's it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, brilliant. Just what I'm saying. Oh, four. God, it's hilarious. That's all. No. <laughs> They determined that they can make out some of the features, but it would be best to send it to an expert who might be able to identify the virus for them. And this is when we get to meet Dr. Ian Sussman, played by Elliot Gould, who is a yeah, research boy. scientist at the University of California, San Francisco. What do you feel about Sussman? Oh, you mean the the Jew? The Jew. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> loved, oh, I loved him. I loved his whole story. His whole story was wonderful. And I love Elliot Gould. Yes. I love Elliot Gould. So I, do, I was I such, I'm such, a, there's just a warmth. I don't know. You see Elliot Gould on screen and you're just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's comfortable. Just, I like yeah, this. Jewish. <laughs> yeah. No, I loved him. I was happy with his whole story, which it definitely expands in the day yeah. in later on. But yeah, it was great when he brocked up. Yeah. He he's just someone who's genuinely just trying to do his job. Absolutely. So this is the by the end of day six, we've met all of our scientists. We know where each one is working and we know what they're doing and the next stage is to learn a little bit more about the virus itself. But before we move on from day six, let's have a joke. Let's have a joke. A dung beetle walks into a bar and he says, excuse me, is this stool taken? <laughs> You're making it really hard to like you right now. Oh. <laughs> uh, day seven. Okay. <laughs> Right, so day seven is, um, the events on this day are more about plot development. So we just, we see Dr. Mears in action at Beth's office working on some contact tracing. I really felt the scene, man, the innocence of the people in terms of this type of event. You know, like they don't know if they should be scared or what information is important. Like I touched a coffee cup or I had a yoga class, but she didn't go to oh, it. But yeah. we were supposed yeah. to, you know, it was a small scene, but I thought... I liked Mears in the scene. I liked how professional she was and, and just like, yeah. you know. Yeah, she didn't put him down for feeling anxious. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we also get a little bit more information about the virus itself. What has happened at this stage is they have sequenced the genome of the virus. And this is the first stage in understanding what they are dealing with. But what does that mean? Do you have any experience with genome sequencing? Did you talk about this during The Girl with All the Gifts? No, I have no idea about no. it. Okay. It's not, it's really quite simple, actually. It's just the genome oh. is the organism's genetic material and that's what contains all of the information on how to make it. 
So the genome of a virus could be made of DNA or RNA, and we can use sequencing to read the letters in the strands of the virus. Now, in the movie, this is achieved by about day seven. Does this seem fast to you? Do you think that this is something that is... I'm just asking I, you random questions. <laughs> I do remember when they sequenced the COVID virus at the Peter Doherty Institute next door to where we was working. Mm. Um, it would have been like February. Right. And and the first thing came into Australia like January. Yeah. So six days is not much, but <laughs> a month. That was probably what it took in Australia. Well, that might have been for a certain strain, actually, because in the case of SARS-CoV-2 for China, they had the genome sequenced by January 7th, 2020, which is on day eight of the global clock. (gasps) And H1N1 was updated to the International Influenza database by day nine. So it's actually, you can sequence a genome very quickly. Oh, so yeah. Oh, what does sequence be? Not that's not make it. No, that's just oh, reading it. It's just okay. reading the. Cut, cut yeah, sorry. Cut yes, okay. <laughs> yeah, I hear what you. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Reading it, reading the sequence. Yeah, reading. Okay. No, no, no. It's all good. You don't really have to cut it. In terms of sequencing the genome, one of the reasons this is important is that you need the sequencing in order to be able to develop a test to detect the virus. Now. The whole testing thing is super important because by doing this sequencing and testing, you can record how a genome is mutating, allowing you to track the spread of the virus and then in collaboration with epidemiologists determine determine what measures you have in place are being effective in stopping the spread. The Mm. rendering of the virus in this movie is so damn good, right? Yeah, the, 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 you're talking about the display that they give and how it latches onto the host. Showing the protein structure. Yeah. When they're talking about like what what the virus is actually being made up of, that scene, just that little moment, it's Dr. Hextel and Dr. Cheevers, and I just, I love it. She was so cool when she was uh, doing the presentation as well. Yeah. She was just being really cool. I, I didn't know, I, when I watched it, I was like, I don't know how bullshit this is, but it looks pretty No, it was, it was no bullshit. Oh, great. I don't think, it was just very kind of like, you know, that that's the stage they'd gotten to, they'd... You know, they were, they'd now been, they'd been able to read it. So now they knew that we can start testing for it, but we can also start looking at how it will be mutating. But for now, we have an actual visual of what makes up this virus. Um, and this yeah. is why from determining the sequencing, they were able to determine that the virus was a novel virus, which meant that they have no protocols in place that will deal yeah. with it. And they were also able to determine that the mortality rate is in the low 20s and it is mutating rapidly. Because of all of this, Dr. Cheevers determines that it should only be studied in a BSL-4 lab, and that means Dr. Sussman working in a BSL-3 has to shut down. Now, <laughs> this is just one of those things in science about protocol that I did not understand. Um, I had to watch it again to see that it was kind of a safety thing, but I do believe that you, Dr. Werdiger, have direct experience of this. So please, 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 can you explain it to me? That's Dr. Wernicke, Biosafety Officer, please. <laughs> All right. I do work in, um, in America, it's, it's biosafety level one, two, three, four. And mm. in Australia, we have physical containment levels one, two, three, four. But in America, it's to do with how dangerous the thing is if it 
gets out. Right. Um, so bias safety level four would be for uh, things that have a high risk of airborne infection that are very life threatening and there is no treatment or vaccines. Um, right. And we mentioned before, um, there are only four. I looked at two sources. Um, one of them said there are 13 operational or planned BSL-4 labs in the entire country of the United States. But another oh, wow. source I found said that there were four operational labs, only four. And wow. so for this one, you need one of those full body air supply suits and the yeah. buildings are totally isolated. Whereas the BSL-3 is also suitable for microbes, microbes that cause lethal disease. Um, and it is used for um, the Western Nile virus and COVID-2 and everything like that. The lab personnel are not in the whole bubble suits. They're in just the standard like full protective gear, maybe coveralls or right. scrub suits. And the thing about a BSL-3 lab is that it has to have its own airflow system. So the airflow to the lab is sustained. There's no recirculation right. of air. And the doors have to be self-locking and self-closing. So okay. like that's the standard for BSL-3. And there are about 200 in the US, although it's pretty hard to know the exact count. So the fact that they were saying only BSL-4 means they were limiting work to only four labs in the entire country. Wow. So in the movie, the guy was like, come on, that's bureaucratic bullshit. And he's right, because the BSL-3, um, they're not like there isn't one federal organization that like monitors all of them. Like there's, my, right. there's way more. You don't even know how many there are. So that was super drastic in the movie. Yeah. But do you think, is that why then maybe if it's, if there's no like central governing thing for all of these labs, if they're like, oh, if we allow 200 other labs to be working with this. Yeah. Is that yeah, a they, danger? Yeah. I reckon they wanted like full federal control over the virus. Right. Like and know exactly where it's going. Although in BSL-3, people people that work in a bsl3 lab are supposed to be under medical surveillance as well by the way okay so it is pretty high like it's pretty high level there in australia the the levels of the lab are to do with um infectiousness levels right like only at level three do you get to infectious diseases but infectious diseases that are like hiv for example that aren't going to be transmitted via contact or air and and physical containment level four are for infectious things that are airborne um but the things underneath three are just to do with like genetically modified animals and things like that nothing that you could catch anything from but things that they they have very strict rules about how those things are kept contained and disposed of okay for example a bit different so were you down were you down for the nerdy bsl talk yeah, it definitely movie. stirred my loins. Stirred your loins. Fucking hell. But I was by a safety officer, free to work. Okay. Yes, I was. I was in awesome. charge. Because well, I worked in a PC2 lab with animals that had that were genetically modified. And so we had a lot of... And we had also um, controlled substances they were using for like anesthetic and everything. So okay. I, I was pretty... I was in charge, man. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Werdiger, biosafety officer. You're welcome. Man. Uh, biosafety officer dr werdiger <laughs> <laughs> uh well so now we know that they've they're well sussman has been told to shut down uh because he's bsl3 and we are moving into day eight of the timeline so far the virus in the movie so far we've we're determining that the virus in the movie is based on a hybrid of influenza and the nipah virus 
which infects cells in the respiratory and nervous systems and originated in Malaysia in 1997 when the deforestation disturbed a bat colony. It's always a fucking bat. It's always a fucking bat. (laughs) Oh, I feel mean about bats now. Um, Right, so where are we with the virus? We are that uh, symptoms develop within one day. They consist of a cough, seizures, fever, and then death within three to four days. The or not is two, and the virus has been named MEV1. Now, while Dr. Orantis is working on contact tracing in Hong Kong, Dr. Sussman in California goes against the CDC's orders, and instead of destroying the sample, he conducts further tests to try to cultivate the virus. This is a necessary step towards being able to conduct basic research studies and inform how to begin developing a vaccine. You can't do that until you have lab specimens, and this is why they talk about what does he want? Because the first person to figure this out, the pharma companies would have been like, hey, take the dollar dollar and give us that information. And they, because they would be the ones who would be able to be the first to likely be the first to develop the vaccine. But in the movie, Dr. Sussman is heart of gold. Uh, He achieves, he achieves it in a bat lung cell sample that the CDC didn't have in their lab. And then he just gives the information to the CDC. Fun fact, SARS-CoV-2 was grown in kidney cells from a monkey. Not sure if that's a fun fact. That is a fun fact. (laughs) All right, okay. (laughs) So let's take a time jump to day 14. Dr. Mears is sick. What must it be like in that moment, do you think? It's such an oh shit. Because you know there's nothing you can do. It's so fast you're probably going to die. Like... The severity mm. is just. You know, they say affects... 20% death rate, but it sure seemed like everyone was dying. Yeah. That it's... That's the thing. I think it's like because it affects everyone equally and it's just like from watching it, we just see as soon as she's coughing, we just know we're like, there is no hope for her. This is I, it. I didn't. I didn't think that. Oh, and even the Did second time I watched it, her? I forgot that. Yeah, I oh. had got it mixed up with outbreak. Maybe I forgot. I was pretty convinced that she was going to survive. I forgot oh this, and, but but not about my feelings. What about good old Doctor Cheever's feelings? Because yeah. that shot stayed on him. He was like, "You're all right. You're gonna be fine." You hung up the phone, and his look on his face. Yeah. And then not only that, they cut to a bit of a wider shot of him sort of banging his head or something and then even a wider mm. shot of him just sitting there like Ugh. yeah so sad it was it was that yeah. i think maybe that's what it is maybe when, when she was when she was on the phone to him maybe at that moment you're like oh i'm sure they'll figure it out but once the camera stays on him you're like oh no she no okay she's dead no. if he he you know from his reaction that there's no hope hmm. and but what i what i do think is really interesting in the scene is the actions of Dr. Mears that like that moment for me she's sitting on the bed and she's crying but she's trying to think and focus about who she may have passed it on to and I just think like what must it be like for people working in those situations day in and day out like you're trying desperately to stop the spread, but you're also putting yourself at risk yeah. every moment of what you're doing. And I think this scene really highlights it. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. The frontline workers, medical yeah. workers, but in so much risk. Uh, I think Dr. Cheever's response, it was like two ways. One was for his protege, but the other was how bad the situation must really be that the person yeah. that I've sent out has now contracted it. As in, it was like, it was a two-level devastation. Right. Oh my God, this is bad kind of thing. That's true. Although I think in reality, it's very unlikely that this would ever happen to someone in her position. Apparently, like it's never happened in the whole 69 years of the, 69, um, of eh? the epidemic intelligence service oh. operator wow. thing. Yeah, I heard what you did there. We're just going to ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> but what we are really talking about is like you said frontline workers like nurses carers doctors or people who would be in this position do you want to give me a joke oh yeah all right joke all right after sex one behaviorist turned to another behaviorist and said that was good for you but how was it for me <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> oh god <laughs> Oh, I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> You're getting into it, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Let's return to contagion. Oh, I'll God. A lot of All right. Okay. <laughs> We're going to... We are now going to skip into day 21, which is a very important day. So there's there's quite a... There's, there's a bit going on here. Mm. Now, day 21. This is when we start to hear about the mutations. The or naught has increased to about four and it's estimated that about one in 12 will contract the disease. Now, I can't find a totally accurate comparison, but I did find that in England, as of January 2021, it's reported that about one in 50 had contracted COVID-19. So just if you want like a, a mental comparison. Wow, wow. During this scene, they conduct a phylogenetic analysis, which is a real thing because it's a way to create a family tree for a pathogen so you can see how it's evolved. In the movie, they say that it has mutated so much that it looks very different to the original one. Mm -hmm. Now, the researchers are trying to produce protective antibodies to the virus, and they do this by trying to create a live attenuated virus which is a vaccine where the virus is weakened in a lab to the point that it cannot cause the disease, but it can stimulate a strong immune response. As we move on, obviously there are things that happen in terms of the social condition and such, but I would like to skip to day 29. Oh, yep. Now, at this point, they're talking about the human trials and the timelines of human trials. And as we've all heard before, it will take months to go through human trials. And then once approval is granted, there's manufacturing and rollout. But Dr. Hextel has noticed that monkey treated with vaccine number 57 is showing no symptoms. And so she decides to go ahead and test it on herself. Yeah, that is one of that is probably my second favorite part of the movie is her smiling at the monkey. Yeah, I love that. I love the way she's smiling at the monkey. Firstly, there's probably little like there's affection for these animals, but it's wordless i love that they are able to communicate to us exactly what has been going on you see vaccine number 57 you've seen all the dead monkeys you see a live monkey you see her smiling at the monkey you see her taking it injecting it in you understand everything that's happened without the need for one bit of dialogue and that is just 
Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's visual medium. Yes, that's it's true. It's good when you can tell things without dialogue. Yeah, you don't need all this extra bit of like, now I'm going to explain to you exactly what's happening in the scene that you can very see clearly yeah. what's happening. It's... Except right before that, Jennifer Ely's on the phone to Lawrence Fishburne telling him how long it takes to produce yeah. a vaccine. And I was like, <laughs> I, I don't think that he needs you to tell him, but it's for yeah. us. But, <laughs> but okay, they make yeah. up for it with the following scene. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that scene, uh, now, I don't want to, like, I don't know. Do we need to talk about the fact that she injected herself? It's like, I mean, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about it. But in terms of, like, the ethics of it, I don't want to shit on it too much. Like, she purposefully oh. brings up Dr. Barry Marshall, the fellow yes. from around your parts. Yeah. My parts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he did that. He, he did that. Hmm. It, wasn't, it wasn't unethical. It wasn't regarded as unethical. It actually led to the publishing of a paper that's like... <clears throat> The, for the Gastronomical Society of Australia, whatever it is. Yeah. It's like one of the most widely cited papers ever. Right. <clears throat> and before before he experimented on on himself, he was pretty much the real life version of a laughing stock in the community. Right. Oh, wow. This is no recent as well. Him. This is recent. 1984. Like, yeah. Because the way when they said it in the movie, my brain went like, you know, fucking victorian dudes chopping off their own arms to test stuff no <laughs> it's like won no, this the, is recent he got, won the nobel prize in like 2000 for this oh wow but but he, his idea was that it's the helibacter um bacteria that causes stomach ulcer and gastric cancer and not yeah. stress or whatever and and people did not believe him they got one year of funding okay Wow. That's what they got, him and his partner, Robin Warren. Like, they had no support, these people. They had 100 samples. The first 30 of the samples showed no support, but then they realized the lab technicians were throwing the cultures out after two days because of whatever dumb standard procedure it is. The 31st test, however, they didn't have time to throw it out, so it stayed from Thursday through to Monday, enough time to grow the bacteria, which it turns out takes a bit more time to grow. Wow. And But in the end, like, they published that and... Uh, they tried to publish it and no one would ex- accept it. The, none of the reviewers would accept it. So that led to the desperate thing where he drank this solution containing Ugh. the Heliobacter virus and infected himself oh with, the, with the bacteria, with a uh, stomach ulcer, whatever, and then cured himself to prove the theory and then published. And then that was the most widely cited paper and wow. that won him the Nobel Prize. Amazing. Can you imagine drinking? A broth no, of bacteria. No, I really, really don't. I don't. I don't. I don't imagine loving, <laughs> loving. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm like, what if you're that dedicated to your research? I don't know. I'm so. Oh. It's such well, a weird. It's a crazy story. It, it is, but it Baza. feeds into uh, this action by Doctor Hextel, yes. which is not like as you said. It's not entirely like it might seem in the movie. You're like, yeah, as if, but like it's not. Um, entirely implausible but the reason this scene is so I just I genuinely love this scene so much it's one of my favourite scenes when she walks into the hospital she just walks in she walks through the ward through all the people and it's the emotion of it and the connection to what you will do to just be able to see your loved one and I find this scene very kind of 
not I don't I don't even know what the right words are to use it's just that there are millions of people around the world right now who are isolated and alone and they would give absolutely anything to just be there for the people that they love and I cried each time I've watched the scene I cry when I think about it because that moment where she sits down and she just wants to be there with her dad you know it's like and that's what she's willing she's like it's worked on the monkey I'm not waiting any longer because you know if he's in there infected he ain't got time like she knows he's gonna die so she's just like right in let me go spend time with my dad before he dies and I just really felt that yeah the first thing she does yeah is so human of her it is people died alone so many people that's the thing alone and it's such a beautiful scene and it's so reflective of what a lot of people are going through right now and I just I I do really I really really love that scene so now that we Hextel has shown that the vaccine works we have a time jump and we move from day 29 all the way to day 131 so we've gone from viable vaccine to approvals fast-tracked emergency rollout and everything's about to happen that's 101 days to mass produce the vaccine and coordinate a distribution effort. So while I do think that, um, like, come on, come on, 101 days, come on. Yeah, no, yeah, come on. Where are we now? Where are we now? We're in February. What was it? Um, it was November the like eighth. It was like two days after the American election that they announced that it was successful. So that was three months ago, and we're still, they're starting to roll it out. From the point that they said it was successful, if we take oh. her point, if we take her yes. point as like oh the point of announcing, but the, but they, but they were like ninety eight percent because they had given it to like hundred thousand yeah. humans. So <laughs> yeah, I don't well, think we yeah. can even make a fair comparison. <laughs> that's no, but that's interesting though because I didn't even think about it in that way, and that makes a lot more sense that you're saying like from the moment when they said it was like I and my brain stupidly wrote down. Well, it took eight months to make the the SARS CoV two vaccine, and it's like oh yeah, but that's including all of the trials um, that would have led through the stages so I suppose you're right like if we take it that from the moment so realistically what we're saying is that the fact that they were able to develop the vaccine in 29 days is batshit absolutely well that exactly (laughs) (laughs) that long so it's the only thing yeah it's I think like obviously they did it for a sense of urgency to kind of show like how quickly these things could all happen but mm-hmm. yeah, it's the the timeline is just a tad bit rushed in the movie. But then I suppose okay if we say fine by day one, you know, by three months after um, a, a viable vaccine has been shown that we can actually have a rollout, then cool. But there's definitely a bit of a science filter on the on the timeline going on here. Yeah, a, a bit romantic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, we we've come to the end of the movie. The final scene takes us back to day one and how patient zero first contracted the virus in a simple and fairly innocent sequence of events. And so the documentary of our last year ends. (laughs) But Frida, there is one thing that people may have noticed has been missing in the story and we are coming to it. And before I move into my final new little segment in my science section, uh, would you like to give us a joke? (laughs) Yep. All right, joke time. What does a subatomic duck say? 
Quark, Quark. <laughs> Is that it? That was it. Yay! That was it. <laughs> I knew that one. I know I, that I, because the name uh, for Quark is taken from um, James Joyce Finnegan's <clears throat> Wake or Ulysses. I'm not sure which one. But anyway. but are you a carbon sample? Because <laughs> I want to date you. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> All right, I'm done. Right. And now for something completely different. <laughs> this movie timeline comes to a close on day 135. And while the virus is being stored in a deep freeze, long-term, highly secure facility, that sniveling little brat, Crumweddy, is running from Enrico Colatoni and spouting his selfish web of lies. So speaking of Alan Crumweddy, it's time to play Conspiracy Bingo. (laughs) I saved this for the end to try to lighten the mood a bit or completely depress you beyond belief, depending on your viewpoint. So, I have just sent you an image on Slack, Frida. I've got it. (laughs) What I have sent you, and I'll put this on Instagram, (laughs) and I'll mark it up to see if Frida wins. It is a conspiracy bingo sheet. On this sheet that I have sent you, Frida, are 12 conspiracies. These are real COVID-19 conspiracies. I'm going to call out the conspiracies from the movie and I want to see if you can win Conspiracy Bingo. Okay, I'm ready. All right, okay. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, I should explain this. Right, okay, so bingo. Frida, do you know Do you know how bingo works? I know, bingo. I have to put the lines out until I get a, I get a you line. You have to, yeah, if it matches, you circle it up and if you get a line, you win bingo. Right, yeah. so, Conspiracy 1. In the movie, Cromwell claims that the virus was made by Big Pharma as a profiteering scheme. So, our first conspiracy, Frida, intentionally spread for profit. Yes! Way. I got it. I'm putting Amazing. it in. In the real world, a conspiracy theory film called Plandemic floated the idea that both Dr. Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates have profited from disease. PolitiFact did a fact check on this movie and debunked the claims stated. But people genuinely think that because Bill Gates forewarned that the world wasn't ready to deal with a pandemic and then donated millions to the vaccine effort, that he obviously means he created the virus in order to test the world and make profit. There's also an Italian video that claims the pandemic is a hoax so that Big Pharma can profit from making a vaccine and it won't end until everyone is vaccinated. Early, early in COVID. I was thinking that. <laughs> I was like, saw... <laughs> you are a part of this. Oh, my God. Very early, I was like, I wonder. I, I had like a, a day where that went through my head. May <laughs> I call to blame Bill Gates? Some... No, I didn't get to Bill Gates. <laughs> I so I suppose there. we can kind of mildly, I mean, we don't want to forgive Cromwell anything, but we can mildly forgive that at the beginning of kind of being like, you know, oh, it's probably Big Pharma to profit. Because we all probably think that, I mean, Big Pharma do profit a lot in the US for sure. So, conspiracy tool. In the movie, Homeland Security discusses the possibility that the virus is intentional and could be a form of a biological warfare. So, do we have on your conspiracy bingo card, Frida, bioweapons? Yes. Yes, I do. Oh, my God. I've How got weird. it. <laughs> it's uh, a bioweapon. One of the 
biggest conspiracy theories of the recent pandemic is that it was engineered in a lab in China as a bioweapon. There are also <sighs> some theories going around that claim that the US made it and planted it in the lab in China. So oh. there's no credible evidence of either and the intelligence community concurs with the scientific consensus that coronavirus is a, or SARS-CoV-2 is not man-made or genetically modified in any way. Yeah, I've heard about this thing about Batwoman. People believe. <laughs> Have you heard about this lately? Like it's Batwoman, and when you hear people talk about Batwoman, you're like, you need us. You're you're gone off the chain. But there is some lady that's Batwoman. She happens <laughs> to study them, and she happens to have been from Wuhan. Like, what can that mean? And I'm like, well, maybe she studies them because coronaviruses often originate in Wuhan. <laughs> Therefore, she set up a research lab there to study them. Not to release them. <laughs> oh, God. Can you imagine that? That's your whole scientific um, legacy. Batwoman. Poor lady. Poor lady. <laughs> okay. So, Next. moving on to conspiracy number three. I'm ready. I'm ready. In the movie, a rumor goes around China that the Americans and French are developing a vaccine in secret. So, oh. Frida. Do you have secret vaccines on your it. conspiracy yes. bingo cards? Yes, I do, I do, I do, I do. Oh my I've god. Got it. I'm excited. Do you know about this in the real world? Uh no, I didn't think I heard this one. This is a short one, to be fair, but it pays off. Cause this okay. conspiracy. Enter Madonna. Yes, I said Madonna. She shared a theory on her Instagram that a vaccine existed but was being concealed. She claims that they would rather let fear control the people and let the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Now, like, for sure, there are shitty people, politicians, corporations that will actually do this. But I don't think anyone was hiding a vaccine. They just take time to develop. Oh, Madonna. (laughs) I know. Come on. Shockers. All right. Okay. Let's. Did let's... you hear that Dolly Parton like donated a million dollars yeah. to the Moderna vaccine? Okay. Because she's a fucking angel, and we all love her. <laughs> she is an angel. She she's is an angel sent from yeah. heaven. She is absolutely sent from heaven. We love you, Dolly Huge Parton. boobs. Oh, and we love them. Great boobs. Yeah. Great boobs. So, conspiracy number four. Crumb Weddy accuses the government of lying about how many people have died, claiming that they are only protecting chosen people. So, Frida, do you have government cover-ups on your conspiracy bingo card? Yes, I do. Oh, my God. How weird. It's so weird that you have all these on that card that I made you. (laughs) What do you know of government? What do you know of government cover-ups? Yes, I think I heard about that in China, that the Chinese government was obfuscating the numbers and that uh, people outside China thought that about China. Like we can't believe oh, yeah. the numbers. Yeah. That that, yeah. All of that. Uh, there is other ones. A lot of, a lot, there's a lot that kind of relate to whether people will or won't take the vaccine. But what I did find was there's a study uh, done by King's College London. Hey, hey. That's where I did my undergrad in physics. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. So the study at, KCL found that 15% of the UK public believes that reporters, scientists and government officials are involved in a conspiracy to cover up important information about coronavirus. Oh. 
Yeah, with apparently one in five in the UK believing that the authorities want us to think that coronavirus is much more dangerous than it really is. And they also think that the government is deliberately allowing vulnerable people to die. In in Victoria, people were saying that like the modeling of the virus, that they were like changing the numbers to fit the models to justify the measures that were taken in the lockdown. Yeah. And th- those people are like my neighbors, you know, like these aren't, these aren't, these are people that I've known yeah. like my whole life saying these things. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's mental. I know. Let's, let's not be depressed about this. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Fine. This is supposed to be the fun part. I'm not depressed. I know, I'm sorry. Okay, conspiracy number five. Crumweddy touts the usual, the vaccine is evil and will cause autism. So, Frida, do you have the vaccine is not safe on your card? I do. (gasps) I do have it. I have it. Ah, vaccines are not safe. He says something that was actually pretty, like, he says a thing that I was like, forget the autism bit, but he goes, Maybe it causes this, that, this, that 10 years from now. Who knows? And I'm like, yeah, that's fair. It's, I mean, like, that's kind the of. funny thing about yeah. these conspiracy theories. They have a funny tipping point, don't they? There's right. like a funny yeah. tipping point. Mm. It's hard. Mm. Aside from the autism thing, remember I said in Conspiracy One that there was this pandemic film? <laughs> well, it also claims that the vaccine will kill millions as other vaccines have already done. Or even worse, Bill Gates is planning to use the vaccines to implant trackable microchips, Frida. Yeah, I actually did hear that. Do I even (sighs) need to say that there is like not any evidence whatsoever at all for any of these guys? Bill Gates doesn't think about you at all. (laughs) Do you know, Bill Gates is busy. He got other shit to do. (laughs) Oh, God. All right. Yeah. But there's only one conspiracy left, Frida. So let's see if you can get fingers bingo. crossed. Fingers All crossed. Right. <laughs> in no, in the movie. <laughs> it's yeah. not rigged. It's not rigged. It's not what you're talking about. In the movie, Cromwell fakes being point. infected with MEV1 and claims that a herbal remedy for Scythia can cure the disease as it has healing properties. So, Frida, do you have the cure already exists? on your bingo card is that existing medicine yes <gasps> yes and you know what i've got what bingo ding, ding, oh ding, my ding, god ding, 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 ding. <laughs> i want conspiracy bingo well done are you are you happy that you want conspiracy bingo do you feel like that's the bingo that you wanted to win yeah what do i get the pot do i get the pot yeah you, you get know, the pot puts... oh yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i'll post it over to australia there oh i love bingo <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk about this for a minute because um, it, forsythia is a real plant whose dried fruit is used in medicine. It's believed to reduce inflammation and it's used to treat swelling, fever and other conditions, mostly related to bronchitis. But there is, of course, no scientific research to look like to back these claims. Now, before before we talk a little bit about the real... Well, should we talk for just a minute about this whole aspect of Crumwitty? These scenes with him take pretending to take the Prosythia, the the mm. sheer pleasure he's getting out of the fact that he's like reveling in hyping these people up, and yeah. that horrible scene with him in his weird ass homemade biohazard suit and Lorraine on the steps. Yeah, and and this sort of insider trading, whatever that yeah. is, with, with the finance guy in order to boost the the sales of. Mm. 
you know, it's he's getting money in his pocket to talk about it so that yeah. the stocks will go up. I mean, it's just despicable. And, and is this real? Is it true? Yeah, I mean, it is. And that's the thing. And we know it is. And we know that it's like you said a minute ago, it's it's one of these things where, and he does it in the movie, and it's one of the reasons why his portrayal is so good. It's just these things where they they have an answer for everything. Yeah. Even at the end when he's being caught, he's trying to justify it in such a way where he's just going to be like, well, they do it, or this person does it, or yeah. how do you know for Scythia doesn't work? And it's like... Mm. People... Define works. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's the thing. Yeah, it it's never so ends. Horrendous. He was good at performing that, I have to say, because we hated him. He was him. very but, good. Yeah, like that, that spiraling, like you can, there's no point engaging a conspiracy theorist, which was he even a conspiracy theorist? I feel like he was just an agitator. Yeah. Do you even believe this shit? Yeah, I so don't, cynical. that's the thing. I don't, I feel like you can't really tell. Like he, he didn't seem to live the life to the point of believing he seemed to live it to the point of profiting and then being like okay well screw it but in our pandemic land we're all very familiar i'm sure with hydroxychloroquine now during 2020 it was suggested that this malaria drug could have some effect on the covid19 disease actually an extra from the movie home alone 2 claimed that it was the biggest game changer in history of medicine however it's emergency. <laughs> I'm not saying his name. However, its emergency <laughs> use authorization was revoked because it led to a risk of heart problems, and several studies showed that it offers no protection against the disease. Do you want to? Do you want to hear about one you probably don't know about? Uh, what do you mean? Uh, what, a, I don't... A, a, an existing oh, kind of existing cure, remedy cure. Okay. In India. There's claims doing the rounds that cow urine could boost immunity. And apparently there are trials underway testing medicine derived from cow's milk, butter, ghee, dung and urine. Um, wow. Right. Of course. Of course. Well, <sighs> that's conspiracy bingo. Well, I can't believe that I won because everyone gets I a know. different board. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, if you do have any interest in some debunking or if there are things that you're hearing out there, claims, the WHO legitimately have a special webpage dedicated to providing correct information relating to coronavirus. I'll put the link in the show notes, but some items on that list are 5G, bleach, holding your breath, hydroxychloroquine, shoes, and of course, UV lamps. So if you're not sure what you should do with these items, have a look on that list. Dying. We'll definitely stop it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have come to the end. So I don't think... Do you want to do another joke? Do we need another joke? We're going into what the fuck, so... What the fuck, bro? All right, straight in. Straight in, girl. <laughs> All right, play some music. <laughs> what the... What the... What the fuck? Frida, what is oh. your what the fuck moment? Okay. Why the fuck isn't anybody wearing masks in this entire <laughs> fucking movie? No one is in a mask. And then there's that guy, her friend, with a face shield, no mask. Face shield, no mask is actually illegal in the state of Victoria. No masks. 
I understand it gets in the way of the actor's performances, <gasps> so I guess it's not particularly practical. Yeah. But the horror that I felt <laughs> watching this and nobody wearing masks was so real. Was real. Horror. Well, I get Much. it, because I, I thought that first as well, and I wrote it down too, and then I was just thinking about it, and I was like, well, I guess, yeah, it's just purely the fact that how do you make the movie when everyone has to have their mouths covered, all the actors. <laughs> so I, I, you, they did do it with extras. Like with people in the background were wearing, they had groups of people wearing masks in the background whenever they walked through crowded kind of scenes or showed crowds. Yeah. And they had like, I mean, obviously with Mitch and the daughter, like he had her wearing a mask every time he was out, like she was out and things like that. But yeah, it was very kind of, it was one of those things where this is so glaringly obviously missing. But at the same time, I guess if they're all wearing masks, then... We wouldn't know what the fuck was going on in any of these scenes. So I oh forgave it. <laughs> I do forgive it too, but it doesn't mean I didn't feel the horror. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? What was yours? Oh, God. The kid's in the garden and he takes off his mask and hers and tries to kiss her. Fuck off. <laughs> I- yeah, I go dad, just go dad. By the I way, was just, I like, loved oh! that he was there with the gun and he dragged him. And I, what I enjoyed as well, the most out of that scene was the look on her face and he looks at her and you think it's going to be one of those moments where he's like, I'm sorry. And he's going to explain. And he's just like, no, he's like, get inside. It's just like, no, I do not no. need to explain this to you. That was stupid. I was like, I wanted to drag the kids off each other myself and just be like, stop being idiots. Yeah, I- I loved that as well. Yeah. I loved it. He was great. He was he was being a very reasonable dad. Yeah. Absolutely. So, let's move into we final verdict. We did it. You we did, did it. We did it. you, but we have did it. Yeah. <laughs> we have, the whole world, we have done it. We are at vaccine stages, guys. We're at where contagion is. We have done it. <laughs> so, let's look at the final verdicts. Um, I don't want to take up too much of the, because this is a long, it's been a long recording, a lot longer than yeah, what I planned, it, but then we had quickly. some, yeah, we had some technical issues, but no, there is something that I do want to do here, uh, but I'll, I'll just run through it very quickly, because in terms of, we're asking the question that we always ask, which is, did the movie pass the Bechdel test? But I want to rename this. I want us oh. to stop doing the Bechdel test. Okay. Because I think the Bechdel test bar is was adequate for the time when it was created but i'm just not happy about it in the context of how we talk about movies so i've come up with a new test i have some criteria and some direction for the criteria that would make a movie pass or fail so i don't know what i'm calling it yet i'll come up with a name for it eventually but the lady test (laughs) we're not calling it that first question would be is there more than one female character and this is an ss what, in order for it to pass, we would want that the primary cast have more than three characters and that the movie isn't set in a men's prison. The second question would be, do they have dialogue that is not focused on a man? This is something that is necessary for it to pass, but it can depend on the context of the movie. So Sandy obsessed with Danny in Greece? No. But Annie trying to manage the PR nightmare of leaving Mark Watney behind in The Martian? Yes, that's fine. Could the role be played by a man? Yeah. Basically, could you gender reverse and the story would still work? For example, Independence Day, no, that would never work. You could make the argument that they could be homosexual couples, but I don't believe that the way the women are portrayed in the movie would be the same way you would portray a man. Um, 
However, altered states. I don't know how you feel, but I completely believe that the wife could be a man and it could be a marriage between two men and the story could still play out the same way with the same dialogue. Yeah. Okay. But I agree with this question. And then lastly, is the female character there in her own right? Does she have her own story? Um, Like, yeah, just does she have her own story or is she just completely pointless to the role just there to be like a girlfriend for no reason? basically and then also we can say if you can't answer any of these questions does the test even apply for example like moon yeah exactly you can't give moon a bad pass because it doesn't apply to that movie so yeah given those criteria do you believe that this movie passes the test yes this is to best pass yes. the tests of wet women yeah although <laughs> i'm sorry i, I don't mean, have a name for it yeah the other tests of women or the uh, the female roles aren't there just to like help men see that what's really important yeah. they yeah yeah yes yes i give it a yes yes queen yes queen because i believe that in this movie no two women ever actually really talk to each other oh so it would not pass the Bechdel test, basically, is what I'm saying. But this movie clearly passes the test for female characters. What is the counsellor or the, the public health Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, that argument. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, but just, yeah. It, it's just such a mess of people running around that people are kind of yeah. doing But it does. It, it passes the female character test. So does it yeah. pass the Here Comes the Science bit? Fuck yeah. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Of course it does. Absolutely. What is your final verdict? How many vaccines five. do you give this movie? Five. Five, yay! I'm giving it five. I love this movie. It's science. It goes to such lengths to include science in it. And like even yeah. the little side conversations about the alternative methods are just ways to be like, we're covering all of these bases. Plus the movie was, it has so much heart. Yeah. It was emotional and it was artistically interesting. And, and from a production point of view, it was f- fantastic as well. So I give it a five yeah. stars. Excellent. I and agree you're also you. five. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's worthy of that, you know. I mean, there's uh, there's not really much there for me to kind of knock off for any reason that I feel is really justified. So five, yes, I agree with you. Five, five, five. So thank Woo. you. That was Contagion. I know it was scary and I know we didn't particularly want to have to talk about this topic, but we've done we it. It's over. It. And now we can leave pandemics aside for a while. Frida, speaking of, what movie is the next choice? What have you chosen? It's enemy. It's. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I just said it. I just wanted to say it really quickly because I know I've been here a while. I'm doing Enemy of the State. That's the oh. movie that we're doing next. It's a big, blocky, bustery, popular movie. And it's one of my favorite ever movies growing up. This was my, this is one of my favorite movies, maybe even my favorite movie when I was a teenager. I've watched it so many times. It's got <gasps> something, a topic in it that I feel pretty expert on image processing. So, and we'll get into surveillance as well. That's what's cool. Next. I don't think I've ever Thanks. seen it. It's great. How I'm trying to look it up to see because I'm like, what is it? other state. Oh. It's great. It's really Wait, good. Wait, we get to movie. go back to Will Smith. Sorry, that's very I know, exciting. I know. We 
get to go back to our oh, Regina place. King. Oh, come yeah. on, man. I know. It's such a good movie. Oh, this is I a love good it. Cast. I know a lot of people love this movie, and I'm just Excellent. excited to, to talk about it. Classic, back to the 90s. Yeah. We're so, we're so predictable. <laughs> yeah, pre-9-11 surveillance worries. All right. I didn't also, know what was about to happen. Yeah. Okay, cool. Loving it. Right. Well, that's in two weeks' time. So if you'd like to join us, please do. In the meantime, if you could give us a rating, uh, you have time to subscribe to the podcast. That would be great. Next week's episode, Mini Sode, is the final installment of our mini series, Ak Ak, It's an Alien. And we're closing it out with The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So thank you very much for listening. And if you'd like to get in contact, you can email us on scienceofthemovies at gmail.com or catch us on Instagram at science at at the movies sorry yeah it is at science of the movies uh twitter is movies underscore science come and talk to us please bye bye Yay, bye <sighs> freedom so sorry that was so fucking long i need to good i need to pee so bad <laughs> uh, i need to stuff and other stuff <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>